You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 868 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland. Coming to you late into the evening on Friday into Saturday morning, and it is an emergency podcast to, to discuss the new reported acquisition of Danilo Gallinari to the Atlanta Hawks. As I said on the last podcast, I was not planning to record a new episode until Sunday night, unless something crazy happened, and I think this definitely qualifies as that. So we will talk about basically just the fallout from this one particular signing. I'm recording at about 12.30 a.m. Eastern on Saturday morning, so just providing that because something could still happen between now and when you're listening to it, so that's the context that, that we definitely want to give you at the top of the podcast, but Danilo Gallinari is now a member of the Hawks, three years and $61.5 million, that is multiple reports now confirming that um, at the same time, um, there is a little bit of uncertainty as to the structure of the contract, but that is the widespread reporting on the years and dollars as of right now. He is a 32-year-old forward, um, a very talented piece for the Hawks to add. By the way, Adrian Wojnarowski, ESPN reports this is the most money ever guaranteed to an NBA player on a multi-year deal for someone who is at least 30 years old and never played in an All-Star game. So kind of a weird bit of trivia there, but definitely tells you this is a significant investment that the Hawks are making in Gallinari. The structure is up in the air, but depending on how they structure this deal, the Hawks could have still as much as $23.3 million um, on the low end, or even more than that, it could be up to $25.4 million if the contract is increasing and they started at the lowest possible level to fit those numbers. If it is, if it is, a, if it is a flat $20.5 million a season, which is the average annual value, the Hawks will have about $24.4 million in cap space, so there's some flexibility there. And by the way, this, e- this now eats into the 2021 cap space for Atlanta, so next summer where the Hawks now project to only have about $25 million in space. That is, of course, a little bit, um, you know, that's a number that could certainly change in the future, but um, that is not as much as you would have thought this Hawks team would have because this is, again, a multi-year investment in Gallinari. So we'll come back to that later on in the podcast. I do want to start off with just talking about the player a little bit. Gallinari is relatively famous. He's been around for a long time, but still not someone that is necessarily the biggest household name in the world. He played in Oklahoma City this last year. Um, He averaged 18.7 points, 5.2 rebounds per game for the Thunder on a good playoff team. He's a really good shooter, 40.5% from three last year on 7.1 attempts per game. That's very, very prolific and accurate. He had a 61% true shooting last season, and basically he's been an ultra-efficient scorer-slash-shooter for a long, long time. He is one of the better um, efficient scorers in the entire league, honestly. Um, he's a high-level shooter as well. He does get he, he's sort of a multi-tiered scorer. I think the most of the attention that's been paid to him so far that I've seen anyway in Hawk circles is about his long, his long-range shooting. That is definitely a big weapon of Gallinari's force base, saying the Hawks desperately need that. So that's definitely a big part of this. But he can post up. He can slash, he can be a spot-up guy, he can be a cutter, he can be a pick-and-roll handler sometimes, which is kind of strange for a power forward, but he definitely can do that a little bit. So a multifaceted player on the offensive end of the floor that does basically every single thing well offensively. A good friend of the podcast, Andrew Kelly, tweeted out a graphic about his synergy profile that basically emphasizes that he was he was above average or better in basically everything from spot-ups to post-ups, ISO, transition, cutting, etc. So that's worth a look, but... Gallinari, really good on offense, no question about that whatsoever. Before we get into the defense, 
um, which is a question mark to be sure. He's also had some durability, I won't say huge issues, but certainly concerns in the past. He missed the 2013-14 season with a um, ACL injury. That's a long time ago. But since then, um, there was this this year there was only um, a limited amount of games, and he actually was pretty pretty durable and pretty healthy this year. But overall. This is not a guy that plays uh, a ton of games. He's averaged 50, 54 games per season in the last six years. Never more than 68 games in a single season. So a guy who basically averages somewhere in the, in the 50s. Uh, he had one lower tier um, in terms of an injury-laden season in there somewhere. But somewhere in the 60-game range for the most part. He was, again, more durable this year. Played 62 games this year. And in a shortened season, that's actually more impressive. But something just filed away because there's a lot of bodies involved now for the Hawks on paper. And if Gallinari is not going to be able to play every single night, especially in this shortened season, you could have some back-to-backs. He might, he might, he might need some off nights and preservation for a guy his age. So um, some depth there might be pretty interesting. I think also it's noteworthy that he played less than 30 minutes a game for the for the Thunder this year, and that was by design. I think trying to take it easy on him a little bit. I think you're better off playing him at this stage in his career just to for maintenance purposes, somewhere in the neighborhood of 27 to 30 minutes a game, something like that, is about appropriate for Gallinari. You wouldn't want to push too much beyond that in the regular season especially. So that is all worth keeping in mind about Gallinari. Um, defensively, it's not nearly as impressive. as the reason. I started off offensively to be positive, to be sure, on the show. But defensively, it's not great. Um, the, Thunder were, the Thunder were about 10 points per 100 possessions better with Gallinari off the floor this last season. That's pretty indicative of his skill set in a lot of ways. It's not a fluke. He is well below average defensively. Not a great athlete, not a great lateral um, quickness guy defensively, not a great rim protector, just not a guy who is terribly effective on defense. Now, he's not absolutely sieve bad, but he is below average pretty much across the board. And I think uh, he, that's, it's also when he was playing the floor, the four exclusively last year in Oklahoma City. Um, for a long time, he was kind of playing some hybrid forward spots. With the Clippers, he played, he played with Tobias Harris a lot. Was sort of a hybrid three-four in the last year, especially, but even before that, he was he's basically a four at this point in time. At least he played almost exclusively again four this year in Oklahoma City. Um, in Atlanta, though, there is some idea that he can be forced to play the three because of John Collins and all that stuff. That we'll talk about in a second. That's not going to go well defensively. He is not a wing on defense by any stretch of the imagination at this point in time. Now, it's a credit to him, honestly, on the offensive end, that he actually could play the three on offense and be and still be good at that. But uh, defensively, asking him to play the three for any length of time is not going to go particularly well. So for the offense, um, you could certainly argue, and I, I think I would argue this, in a vacuum, the offense is worth the defense because he's not so, so, so bad defensively, um, and he is quite good on offense. But uh, the defense is definitely going to be a concern. So that's something to keep in mind this entire time. He is big. That's helpful. He's uh, at least physical and kind of strong, but just lateral, you know, quick to quickness wise, um, acumen wise, defensively, he's not the, not the greatest guy in the world. So keep that in mind. So the big fit questions are out there. Um, I'm going to read you a tweet that was sent by Zach Lowe of ESPN during the day today um, after all of this happened. Um, this is this is a word for word quote again. This is not me. This is Zach Lowe, who is uh, basically the number one guy on the NBA beat in terms of uh, analysis. So here it is: The Hawks have now traded for Clint Capella, drafted on Yaka Kongwu, and signed Danilo Gallinari. They played DeAndre Hunter a fair bit at power forward last season. A lot of other teams are wondering what this all means for John Collins. That's a quote. Now, something I've said before on this podcast when when Gallinari came up in the rumor mill the last couple of days and maybe even weeks now, um, is that, you know, the fit is not 
awesome in my view. But, you know, on the one hand, if you want to be positive, we'll start there first. Gallinari, again, is a really, really good player, and that matters. He is genuinely a top-flight offensive guy. He's going to help the Hawks immensely on that end of the floor. The Hawks need shooting. The Hawks need scoring to complement what they already have. And beyond that, I would easily make the case that in a vacuum, the contract for Gallinari is totally fine. He is older than you would want at 32. Um, $20 million a year is a lot of money, but like right now, today, this year, he's a $20 million player. I'm pretty confident in that. Barring injury, of course. Um, the third year is a little bit scary, and that's kind of where, if you wanted to criticize the deal in a vacuum, that'd be the way to do it. You know, at age 34, it is very possible that he's not worth $20 million anymore. So that's worth saying. If it was two years, $40 million, it'd be a little bit easier to swallow than three or 60. I totally get that. But there's something to be said for adding a guy who can just be good. Like, you absolutely know that Gallinari, when he is healthy right now, is a good player, um, full stop. And there is some value in just kind of having that safety not projecting, just saying, look, this guy's good, and now he's on the roster. Now, the other side of this is that it's definitely curious, in part of, be- of because of how big the investment is in Gallinari, just because the fit is not incredible. So, I know Hawks fans are already responding to this on Twitter. There's been a lot of discussion in the last couple of hours. I tried-, I tried to wait as long as I could to record and make sure I didn't miss anything. Um, but uh, a lot of people were talking about him as, a- as sort of a bench role guy for the Hawks. I get that because John Collins is on the team and John Collins is very good and John Collins is a power four at this point in time. But typically, I would say typically again, it's not it's not impossible, but typically you do not see a guy sign for three years and $60 million, especially as an older free agent on a team that's not going to be going to be a title contender next year probably. Um, that guy doesn't usually come off the bench, is all I'll say. It's not impossible, but mostly when you're giving an investment of that size, you're doing it to a guy who's probably going to start and play a prominent role for you. Now, regular listeners to the show will probably know this, but I'll say it again for people that may be, may be new to the podcast. I personally do not think starting lineup stuff is that important. I think it's pretty overblown. It's been the case for a long time about the Hawks' young wings. Like, there's always this discussion about Reddish and Hunter and Herder and who starts, and I don't really care all that much right now. There's plenty of room for all these guys. But um, it's a little bit harder at the four. I will say that it's more relevant at the four to figure out what's going to happen there. And again, there's a, a, a dynamic in play here because Gallinari is now under contract for three years. Collins is entering a, a um, extension window here, of course. And uh, if he's not extended, he'll be on an expiring contract. And those guys don't fit together all that well. So there's questions, justifiably so. I heard from a lot of people around the league today about the same exact thing. So you paid this guy a, a lot of money, and by the way, it's important to note that he is one of your best four players full stop. The best four players on this Hawks team right now are Young, Capella, Collins, and Gallinari in some order, and Young's first, and the other, the other three are somewhere, some order beyond that. But trying to play Gall- the three next to Collins and a center on the same at the same time on a regular basis is not something that I would endorse as a fantastic idea. It's not like untenable always, but matchup-wise, it might be tough. He's a bad defender at the four. Maybe not bad. Pretty bad, I would say, at the four. At the three, it's going to be even worse than that, I would imagine. He's not someone who's going to chase wings around um, screens and all that stuff. He's not, he's not, it's not a great recipe for that. I do think that Collins improved defensively last season, but you're still talking about a guy who's more of like a four and a half on defense. And then you have Capella, who's mobile, to be sure, but you're still playing. I mean, I guess the advantage would be that you're really big. That could be a positive in a lot of ways. But on the flip side, if you play a smaller team, small ball last might, might cook the Hawks a little bit with Gallinari trying to play the three. Um, there is a way, by the way, to stagger. Gallinari and Collins, I would I would recommend that quite a bit if those guys are um, on on board here together, where they are not playing a ton together, and just kind of having one of them on the court at all times to be an awesome power forward offensive player. 
that's a good strategy looking forward, broadly speaking, especially when you have DeAndre Hunter as well, who you invested in quite a bit with a top five pick in that huge trade-up last year. And he's a guy who can play the three and the four too. So there, there's some malleability there, some versatility, nothing bad about that necessarily. Um, but, you know, that's all kind of in the mix through all of that. But I, I will, I'll just say this. No one can tell you with a straight face that it's absolutely ideal to have three of your best four players be power forwards and centers especially when your lottery pick for this year is also a center or at least a combo big of some sort. That's not incredible asset allocation in a vacuum, even if all these guys are going to be pretty good, I think. And of course, the Kong was the only one what you're actually projecting. The rest of these guys are good right now, but uh, it's just kind of interesting in a lot of ways. I know I referenced that Zach Lowe tweet before, but I want to preface this by saying I'm not reporting this at all. I'm not reporting anything, anything here, but my phone has been dinging and buzzing and ringing off the hook pretty much all night with people from around the league, from people that work for teams to writers, other plugged-in folks trying to figure out what's going to happen with John Collins. I will say this first off, they do not have to trade John Collins. There are a couple people that I've talked to that think they actually have to do this, at least in logical terms. I kind of understand that in a lot of ways, but I think my personal view is that they do not have to trade John Collins by any means. I think there is a way for this to all work out. But, you know, on paper, it is a little bit tricky. Maybe tricky is the wrong word. Maybe a little bit more complicated at this point in time because of this investment they've made in Gallinari. I think it's kind of difficult long-term to envision a world, say, like two years from now with Collins, Gallinari, Capella, and Akongwu all still on the team. That is kind of um, difficult to imagine. At some point, you have to figure out some uh, more asset a- allocation because Akongwu, if he works out, you don't want to play him more often. Collins making more money at that point. All of that. But for now, you can go into this season for sure with all these guys on the, on the team. Akongwu may not play a ton as a rookie, which opens up a lot of space here, um, because then you're playing more of Collins at the center. You're playing, uh, and by the way, Devin's off the team now as well, so you're playing more of Collins at center potentially, staggering those guys, playing um, maybe Collins and Akongwu together a little bit more with Gallinari and Capella a little bit more. I don't know what you want to do there, but regardless, there are ways to stagger and have a good player at all times on the court at the four and the five, which is probably a good thing to do in general. So, I'm not saying you have to do anything here, but it's just kind of a question that's been out there, to be sure. Um, with everything I said about the fit not being great, it's going to sound funny, but this is actually interesting in a lot of ways for me anyway as a, as a cap nerd. But the fact the Hawks committed this money to Gallinari for next year and the following year might actually have an impact on contract extension negotiations for Collins. I think the Hawks are going to be weighing some things there with Collins regardless about the extension I've been on record as saying it does make some sense to not extend him because of the low cap hold that he has for next summer. But now the Hawks have this extra money on the books for next summer with Gallinari, and they still have a lot of space, about $25 million for next year. But if they still add to this roster with some multi- with some more multi-year deals, suddenly the opportunity cost of having Collins' cap hold be low is not as important. So weirdly enough, you could argue, if you wanted to, that Signing Gallinari might, might, might actually make it more palatable to sign an extension for Collins, which I'm sure is like not a not an angle that people are talking about, but it kind of makes some sense to me in a lot of ways. Um, by the way, Sarah Spencer of the AJC shared earlier tonight on Friday night that, is, that the Hawks, quote, still hope to get a deal done, end quote, with Collins, even after the Gallinari news came out. It is worth noting that the Hawks definitely would not say otherwise to anyone at this point in time, so... Um, if they were not going to try to find a deal here, maybe try to trade Collins, they wouldn't say so. But it is a positive, for sure. If your fingers crossed that Collins will be around long-term, that's important to point out. So, extension talks will be heating up. They already were going to be heating up at some point along the way here. 
my overall thought again is that they don't have to trade Collins or do any, or do anything on that front. But you are probably going to continually hear all of this stuff even before even before the Gallup news was final. A couple of the national podcasts, your Zach Lowe's, your Brian Windhorse types, uh, I know the Ringer guys talked about this a little bit as well, were kind of just floating Collins' questions. Not necessarily reporting that they were definitely going to trade him, but just putting it out there as a possibility that people have heard. And I do think, Hawks fans won't like this, but I think I think the Hawks are going to listen on John Collins if they weren't already listening on John Collins. Again, listening does not mean shopping. It means that they're probably going to listen, and that'd be the case for most guys. I know Trey Young is not available, um, and I know you know Cam Reddish is probably close to not available as well. Um, but I, I think it's just important to point out that most guys on most teams are available to be traded, and with Collins in this weird spot, the Hawks probably will listen. I have no idea. That's not me reporting anything. That's sort of an educated guess. But all the all that all that to say, they do not have to do anything with Collins right now. Even if you hear that or see that on national spot. I'm on record as saying they don't have to do that if they don't feel like that's the way to go at this point in time. So overall, and uh, we'll sort of wrap up here in a second because this is a uh, emergency podcast with, with just me on it. I could probably do another half hour on this just by myself with all the angles and all the ramifications, but we'll have plenty more time in the coming weeks. I will recap by saying that, again, Gallinari is really good, and the fact that a really good player chose to sign with the Hawks in free agency is not something that's small for this team. Um if you're a long-term Hawks fan, you probably know this, but the Hawks have not been a huge bastion of free agent signings in the past, especially high-dollar good players. They've had, a, they've had a few, to be sure, that have signed big contracts with Atlanta, but the list is not terribly long. You know, recently, it's basically just Dwight Howard that signed a, from outside the, outside the organization, signed a huge contract. That didn't go well. I hated that deal when it happened. Um, it obviously didn't go well from there. Um, but other than that, like... Joe Johnson was a sign-and-trade. Uh, I know Paul Millsap ended up being an all-star, but that, that was a kind of a famous, awesome value deal the Hawks signed. They've just not signed too many big-ticket free agents in the recent past. So getting a guy like Gallinari, who's respected around the league, like a top 50, 50 or 60 guy in the entire NBA, having him sign a deal with the Hawks willingly and uh, do so early in free agency is a pretty good sign for where the Hawks are trying to build. In a vacuum, again, he's a $20 million player. That's totally fine. There is some concern about, about the duration of the deal, but the Hawks can take solace in the fact that he's just good at basketball. That does matter, and that definitely does make it a little bit easier to uh, swallow. So again, personally, you know, three years for $60 million for Gallinari is more than I would have wanted to spend. I am I purposely didn't dwell on this a whole lot on this podcast. I, th- I think it's not crippling or anything like that, but somebody asked me to just make sure that I answer this, so I'll do it now. I think 360 is more than I would have spent as the Hawks on Gallinari. It's not egregious. It's not um, offensive to me. It just kind of adds some questions. I think that last year is going to be a little bit expensive, but um, just because I wanted to make sure that I said it out loud at least once. I didn't love the deal. Um, At the same time, it does make a lot of sense to just add a good player, and I think he's worth it in year one. So that all sort of puts in together what I think about the contract. So other dominoes could be interesting in the near future from how the Hawks use the rest of their space, by the way. They still have plenty of space, one more time, plenty of space to add to this team, whether it be in the backcourt or on the wing or whatever they want to do here. They have some space to work with, any trade stuff that could be out there as well. As I record this, by the way, a lot of the guys the Hawks, at least Hawks fans, have been interested in, that they've, they've been linked to for a long time, are now already off the board. Now, most of these guys, or at least some of them, didn't make sense once Gallinari signed anyway, but... For instance, Jeremy Grant got $20 million a year from Detroit. Joe Harris got $75 million guaranteed from Brooklyn. Davis Bertans got five years and $80 million from the Wizards. And Derek Jones went to Portland actually on a, on a deal that I would have given out. It's pretty cheap and pretty good value there. But most of the, most of these guys got a lot of money. 
There are still names to monitor. Like, I know Bogdan Bogdanovich was a, was a very hot rumor on Friday evening in the afternoon, but nothing on that front for now. The Hawks do have the money to sign uh, Bogdanovich if they want to still. Um, if they wanted to do that, they could still they still could. He's restricted, by the way, keep that in mind. I would say he's a little bit less appealing for me now than he was before Gallinari because Bogdanovich defensively is not fantastic, and I think trying to play a lineup that has Trey Young, Bogdanovich, Gallinari more often would not be great defensively. It would be a lot of fun offense, for sure. But I think I would value him a little bit less than I was before. Um, that doesn't mean you can't do it, but certainly I would say a little bit less of a priority because of all the things that Gallinari brings to the table already. But we'll touch on that later on. You know, obviously backup point guard's still out there. Another wing is still out there. So they have some spots they can, they can, up, they can sort of, um, I don't know, improve along the way here. But we'll see what they end up doing in the next couple of days and weeks. Anyway, that's enough for now on the Emergency Podcast. I'll be back again on Sunday night at the very latest into Monday. If the Hawks do something else crazy on Saturday, I might record again. Uh, We'll see how that all plays out, but uh, I will be here. Please subscribe to the podcast. Please check out the written content at peachtreehoops.com where there's plenty to dissect about Gallinari and other stuff on the website. Again, tell your friends about the show. We'll see you next time.